my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Good afternoon, I'm Pastor David Butcher, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. We're broadcasting from the incredible city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you this afternoon. And this week, we're taking as our theme, how do you explain biblical violence? And today we ask the all-important question, was the God of the Old Testament a violent monster? Today our co-host is Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary would normally sit where I'm sitting uh, hosting the program. Gary is the coordinator of the big Q&A drive time program and also the pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church here in Adelaide. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, David. It is wonderful to be able to come and uh, come and join you. I've got to admit, sitting in uh, uh, in the wrong seat, however, uh, is like sitting in the uh, in the wrong seat in your car when you're going down the road and your wife is driving. Oh, wash my mouth out. I shouldn't say something like that. I right. hope your wife is listening. So you're quite nervous with me sitting behind the controls here. Not at all. Total confidence. Okay. Um, I did ask Gary just before... Before we came on air, does he prefer driving the program and being in control or not? And uh, Gary, your answer was? Uh, much preferred driver's seat, much preferred, much more comfortable there, Dave. That means I can turn you off and on when I like and ask you the questions that I want to ask, Gary. That's so always a worrying thing, Dave. A big question for you, Gary. You've got something special happening very shortly. You're not yeah. going to be with us. Yeah, that's very, very true. I've actually got um, uh, long service leave uh, coming up. So I've actually got one more week uh, here in... Uh, here in Adelaide, and uh, then I'm taking a month off. So I'm really looking forward to uh, a mid-year month's vacation. The problem for me, however, is that we've actually booked 10 days out on Norfolk Island, and uh, a couple of days before that in a big city of Sydney, my my hometown. Now, right now, I am watching the news about every half an hour, trying desperately to work out what is actually going to happen, and whether our good friends in Sydney are going to get locked down, uh, and whether I'm actually going to be able to go on the holiday that I've paid good money for. And certainly this afternoon, every state's different, obviously, but this afternoon, South Australia, I believe, is closing its borders to people from New South Wales. So that means I'll be able to get out. They won't be able to get back in again. So this might be one of the last times you hear of Pastor Gary for some time. (laughs) Yeah, no, David, uh, this is a real challenge. I know city after city. I know our good friends over in Melbourne there, uh, they've had a number of challenges. They've had four or five challenges. Here in Adelaide, we've really had uh, an easy time time at it. I think we only had one major lockdown and then we've had two or three days uh, after that where we had one uh, minor f- false alarm as it turned out to uh, to be. Uh, but this one in Sydney has got to be of concern. Uh, I mean, these these changes, this transition that's occurring is making huge impact on our, on our economy, on our society, on how we do business and uh, and on my holidays. Yeah, look, it's hard to plan ahead, isn't it? I was um, due to fly out to Sydney on Sunday, just gone, and Saturday night I was checking in online, flying out first thing Sunday morning, flying back Sunday evening back to Adelaide, and about 9 o'clock Saturday night I thought I'd better fill in that re-entry permit to come back into South Australia, put everything in there, and um, and about five minutes later after submitting the email, the form, uh, South Australian Police came back and sent this thing, your your uh, your your permit has been declined. 
Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really hard, isn't it? When, you know, you've planned, you know, like you had a business trip and I know I'm myself. Worse with a holiday, isn't uh, it? It's far worse with a holiday, you know. I mean, this is something that I, I've really been looking forward to. In fact, we we really, we were hoping on going overseas. But, of course, you know, overseas is out of the question at the present time. So we thought, well, Norfolk Island, uh, we've never been there. Love to be able to go there. Here's so many positive stories about, uh, about Norfolk Island and... Uh, so we we did book uh, ten days uh, over over. In fact, it's a significant birthday coming up for my wife. So we were actually celebrating a very significant birthday for uh, for Colleen. And uh, uh, yeah, I I just hope that uh, that this can actually happen. And then if you get there, it's can you get back? You might be still there celebrating her next birthday. Well, I've got to admit, David, I'm not quite as worried about coming home as what I am going over there. I mean, uh, if in fact I need to have an extra two or three weeks. Uh, off well, um, I'm. I can actually handle that. Uh, that strangely, you'll miss uh, you'll miss our listeners, Gary. Uh, Gary, let's come to our World Watch segment, and uh, we're going to draw from a the latest release, release number five from the American Worldview Infantry 2021, and it comes again from the Dr. George Barner um, Cultural Research Centre. And uh, this particular release, release number five, covers the top ten most seductive unbiblical ideas embraced by Americans. So this is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and this, uh, this has just been released just yesterday. This is brand new uh, on the uh, on the internet. This is hot. This stuff. So, as you say, just yes, I just had to check my watch to check the date. It was yesterday. So, Gary, um, it looks at the top ten most seductive unbiblical ideas embraced by Americans. So, let's have a look at them. According to a new analysis of data from the American Worldview Inventory 2021 from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, the top ten most prevalent seductive and biblical ideas embraced by American adults include, and let's run through a few of them and then we'll talk about them a little bit, the spirituality inclusive idea that having faith matters more than what faith you have. So it's important to have faith, that's more important than what it's based in. Uh, the next one, all faiths are of equal value. We keep going. Belief in karma, the idea rooted in Eastern religions that you get what you give, the dismissal of absolute truth, commitment to personal subjective morality, the idea that people are basically good. We continue. Success is determined by happiness, comfort, goodness, or fulfilled potential. Sexual relations apart from marriage are morally acceptable. Rejection of the notion that people are inherently sinful. And then lastly, in the conclusion, that the purpose of accumulated personal wealth is unrelated to God's purposes. So this, Gary, lists quite a number of things, doesn't it, that certainly go against biblical teaching. Yeah, David. Look, to me, as I look at these uh, these particular uh, aspects of uh, of this uh, this survey, uh, to me, it's actually quite frightening. I, I would suggest. I um, there's a number that really jump uh, jump out at me because uh, I know that as I you know as I did actually have a look at this uh, um, uh, this this survey, one of the things that 
I suppose really impacted me was the issue of the human condition. Now, this is what Barner actually said in uh, in his uh, in his survey in the detail. Without the Bible as a guidebook for life, it's not it's really not surprising that people are confused about how life works. For instance, three out of four adults reject the idea that humans are born into sin and need to be saved from the consequences of that spiritual deficit by Jesus Christ. Only 25% believe in the concept of, of sin and redemption through Jesus Christ. Complementing that view, 7 out of 10, believe that people are basically good. Now, you know, David, this is totally contrary to certainly what we're talking taught in the in the Christian scriptures and certainly are totally contrary to the beliefs of so many well all Christian denominations that I uh, am certainly aware of I mean this this view that individuals um, are basically a sinful is something that has been part of the teaching of every Christian denomination uh, because if in fact people are sinful they actually need a saviour. They need a rescue, don't they? They need a rescue. And in fact, Scripture tells us this. I mean, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. So here we have this biblical picture, just as you said, Gary, that the human condition as portrayed in Scripture right there from the first sin is the the brokenness, the inability for humanity to save themselves. And if, in fact, you know, David, just, just think of the implications of this. If, in fact, uh, my view of myself and everybody else is uh, they're okay, I'm okay, then that means that they don't need any assistance. You know, to me, one of the most beautiful things about the scriptures is a teaching concerning the the gift of the Holy Spirit. What the uh, scriptures teach us is that uh, human humanly, we actually don't have uh, the uh, the power within ourselves to be able to change ourselves. You know, when people get angry, when they get frustrated, when they when there is rage out there, uh, you know. What can people do about it? Well, you know, sometimes I hear people say, look, you know, I mean, good education is is actually the answer. Shut your mouth, count to ten. Count to ten, all this. But the problem is, is on the spur of the moment, something wells up inside of me and I just simply react. Is there any way of actually being able to deal with that issue? Now, within the scriptures, what you do is you get a teaching Christ in you, the hope of glory. When the Holy Spirit has come, he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. You see, apparently, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Christ Jesus. Jesus. You see, apparently, when the Holy Spirit comes, what he's able to do is he is able to do for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. Now, of course, if in fact I deny that I need any help, then that power becomes totally unavailable to us. That's why, to me, these beliefs are, I believe, so absolutely significant and so um, uh, so important that we understand the implications behind them. So, so this survey talked about how some of these um, seductive things that have crept into uh, people's perspectives in America, I would call them destructive 
I agree with you totally, David. In fact, can I say, I believe that churches have increasingly become political organisations, not spiritual organisations. You know, churches increasingly are talking about political uh, themes. You know, we're talking about the environment. You know, uh, these, uh, these are important things to, to talk about, but these are not central to the, uh, to, to, to Christianity uh, and to, to religion. You know, Christianity has got some central features which are so important. You know, understanding what man is actually like, understanding that man has actually got a sinful heart. And is it lost? Is lost, lost without? Is lost, lost without, without Jesus salvation. Christ? Exactly. Yeah. Gary, let's look at one other one: personal behaviour. And it says here, although Eastern mysticism is not intentionally embraced by many Americans, less than 1% has a worldview dominated by Eastern mysticism principles and beliefs. Some of its beliefs have nestled their way into the hearts and minds of many Americans. Karma is one of those principles. Nearly 6 out of 10 adults, 57%, say they believe in karma. In fact, the concept has become so comfortable to Americans that one-third of the people with the biblical worldview, 33% also embrace this concept. How do you respond to that? Oh, look, David, I, you know, to me, I find that, you know, to me, what this is actually saying is, you know, the, um, the, the reading of the scriptures is not occurring and the teaching of the churches is disappearing. And to me, that's the most frightening thing about uh, those two realities because you, um, uh, Eastern mysticism is a totally anathema to all that's actually ta- taught uh, within the Word of God. Um, there, there are some uh, incredibly dangerous practices that are spoken against in the Word of God. Absolutely. And uh, they're things that I would suggest that we actually need to be fully aware of. Uh, they, uh, it's so important that, uh, particularly with the media the way that it is, that it is presented today, there is a great deal in the media that is, um, that is presented that, um, is simply assumed and yet, when you dig into it and you understand where it's actually leading an individual, you come to understand that, hey, uh, there are real problems with the direction that this is actually going. You highlight again, don't you, the the, the importance of, of sticking true to the Word of God and having that as a grounding point. Last one, life outcomes. Interestingly, when it comes to life outcomes, the views of people who have a biblical worldview and those who don't are diametrically opposed. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Mm. Uh, it says here, for instance, four out of five people with a biblical worldview believe that the personal accumulation of wealth has been entrusted to them by God to manage for his purposes. However, just one out of five other adults embrace that belief. Common alternative views about wealth are that it is earned and deserved. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting, David. One particular time, uh, this was almost 30 years ago. I actually had the, had the privilege of, uh, I was distributing some, some Christian literature, uh, on a door to door type, uh, type basis. And I got talking to a, uh, to a, a fellow and he, uh, he said, well, what are you presenting? And so I showed him what I was presenting. And one of the, um, one of the pages, uh, in the book I was presenting actually had a, a, a picture of of a family and they were having saying prayer before they ate their meal we would call that having grace Thank or grace, blessing yeah. the blessing the meal and uh, I, I made a comment something to the effect would wouldn't it be a, a, a good thing if you know if this became a normal thing in many households because we were talking and he was a it was obviously he was a Christian man and he said no actually I disagree with you totally 
um, and uh, uh, and it's, it's, it, it actually set me back a little bit. It, it would. It, it set me, and uh, uh, I said, do you want to open that out a little bit? And he said, yeah. He said, look, the thing that my children need to understand is that um, the bread, the food that comes on the table in this house happens because of some incredibly hard work that I do day by day. It doesn't come here uh, because some God provided it. It came because I worked hard for it. So when we leave the biblical worldview, when we leave the foundation of the scriptures, there is ultimately a focus on self, isn't there? There is, there is. And, and that, in fact, is the heart and core of so many of the moral issues uh, that we're actually dealing with today. I mean, even, uh, okay, we don't hear very much, you know, Ten Commandments anymore. But if you think about it, Ten Commandments have got so much morality within them that enables us to be able to, um, uh, to, to guide our lives. You know, what is right and wrong? Are there boundaries? And to me, as I look at the scriptures, I say, hey, the scriptures uh, to me is truly wonderful because what it does is establishes boundaries. It says this, you know, people may push against those boundaries. They may jump over the boundaries. You know, my young people may do that, but at least they know the boundaries are actually there. And the further we get away from those, the, the more likely we are to get into trouble and have trouble in the world. Gary, let's uh, cut to some music. Uh, Jordan Feely's Wounds. Walking, broken, innocent, stolen. Shadows hold you down till you can't breathe You look for reasons to pick up all the pieces But still you tell yourself the hurts to be Would you believe me if I said you're not beyond repair? Would you believe me if I told you that I've been right there? I've seen the light coming to my darkest rooms I can tell you, friend, that his love heals wounds Look into my heart, let it be the proof I'm only standing Feels Freedom, breakthrough, open arms around you Just like how it feels to come back home And this redemption, love without dimension
darkest rooms I can tell you, friends That is love heals wounds Look into my heart Let it be the proof I'm only standing here Cause it's love heals wounds Yeah, it's love heals wounds Yeah, it's love heals Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor David. Today our guest host is Pastor Gary. Gary is the coordinator of the Big Q&A Drive Time program and pastor of the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adelaide. And today he's sitting at the opposite side of the desk. Lucky uh, norm- me. You're lucky you. Normally you are in the driver's seat, but today I've got you under my control here, Gary. Uh, we are looking at the topic How do you explain biblical violence? And today's particular topic is, was the God of the Old Testament a violent monster? But before we get there and before we get to Gary, our free giveaway today, and you can uh, text in for that on 0488 880811. That's 0488 880811. The free giveaway is the incredible... uh, action-packed book called The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. It's uh, written by Bhutan Herndon and it's the official authorised story of Desmond Doss. It's an abridged version, but uh, Desmond Doss was the first American to uh, receive um, the uh, the Medal of Valor, who was a non-combatant. And uh, he was sent into World War II uh, and went into uh, some islands off of... Uh, uh, Japan and um, uh, yeah, went into battle without a single weapon. Now I've read this book, Gary. It's an incredible book. It has tells his story, but then it goes into some of the key principles that mm. he stood for. Mm. And what we've just talked about um, this World Watch segment of um, people's values, how they change from a biblical perspective. You see the complete opposite in this book, The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, the movie was uh, based on this man's life, Desmond Doss, and I would really encourage our listeners to text in and grab a copy of this book. You need to text that number 488 and ask for today's free offer, The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge, 0488880811. So, Gary, our topic today is, was the God of the Old Testament a violent monster? And I don't know about you, but often when it comes to the... the yeah, the Old Testament, a lot of people think it's irrelevant, it's done away with, it's from a different time and place... And one of the most common objections is that how could there be a God who is guilty or seemingly guilty of committing immoral acts? Uh, In the Old Testament, some suggest that God appears to advocate, endorse, and even commit acts that are normally seen as morally questionable. And essentially, I guess one of those pictures is uh, when God commanded the Israelites to completely wipe out the Canaanites as they entered the Promised Land. And in fact, Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, touches on this. So, Gary, let me hit you with this question. I'm glad, actually, you're sitting that side of the desk. Was the God of the Old Testament a violent monster? 
Yeah, thanks so much for that, David. Yeah, look, uh, listeners need to understand how we actually did manage that. We actually drew straws on this particular one, and uh, on uh, on this particular occasion, I actually lost. Uh, so I get to sit in uh, this seat and uh, and answer this question or respond to this question, and David gets to sign, sit beside the uh, the controls. So, uh, it, but it is wonderful to be able to come and share with you on this particular issue, David. Look, this is probably uh, the most sig- one of the most significant questions that anybody can possibly. Possibly, uh, possibly ask. Uh, I I will recall. Uh, I've uh, I've actually uh, taught on on this particular subject uh, uh, a number of times. I've I've preached on on this particular subject. Uh, I've shared with individuals. Uh, you know, one uh, I still remember on one particular occasion. I, I preached on on this particular occasion. And uh, before I preached, uh, one of the elders of that particular church came up to me, and uh, what he what he said to me really jumped out at me. Uh, he said. Um, pastor, he said, the reality is, he said, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He said, Jesus I get, Jesus I like, but the God of the Old Testament is someone that, frankly, I don't get and I don't like. That's now, troubling, isn't it? Oh, look, Dave, I mean, do you think that's a common view? Look, I do. I think there is a disconnect, um, maybe with people that aren't as deeply connected with the Bible, but there is a disconnect. It's a distant pastime, thousands of years ago. Life is different now. Yeah. And when they read some of these stories, that's how many people view it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, on another occasion, I actually had a mum. I, I actually preached on this particular subject, and I had a mum after I'd greeted people at the door, and uh, she came to me, and she was actually in tears. And I thought, well, have I said something wrong here? And uh, she said to me, uh, Pastor, uh, she said, um, uh, I really appreciated what, you, what you've actually shared. But I said, you need, you need to realise uh, my son's not in church today. He stopped attending at the beginning of this year. And I said, why is that? And uh, she said, uh, he went to university. And as soon as he went to university, uh, this particular subject, the horrible God of the Old Testament, was thrown at him uh, by one of his uh, non-Christian friends. He didn't know how to respond to it. He couldn't respond to it. And And ever since then, he ceased coming to church. This is crucial, Gary, as you've just said. I mean, young people, they're raised in Christian homes and churches. They go to university, and if they get uh, professors and lecturers that are anti-Christian, this is one of the arguments that will be thrown at them that that can rock them. That's that's exactly right. And that's why, to me, I suggest what we need above everything else is actually a reasonable response uh, to this this particular question. I mean, I think of uh, Richard Dawkins is probably one of the greatest atheists. He's getting a little old now. Um, but he, uh, one of his statements, because he wrote on this subject, the horrible God of the Old Testament, this is what he said. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Uh, he's jealous and proud of it. Petty, unjust, unforgiving, a control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirster, thirsty, ethnic cleanser. He's homophobic, racist, infocidal, genocidal, a malevolent bully. And as I sort of read that, I think, wow, where do you find any of these words? But these are, this is his understanding 
of the God of the Old Testament. And this is what is thrown at some of the young people. That And that is exactly the issue. And that's the problem that we're actually facing today because when you go to university, if you don't have some some answers, because there are some things in the Old Testament that you look at and you turn around and you say, hey, how do you explain this sort of thing? So, uh, David, look, I'm just wondering, because uh, I'm really conscious that time is going to get away uh, from us today. So uh, let's see if we can just come to a couple of passages of, of Scripture and let's see if we can come to some sort of understanding of what is actually going on in this particular area. Look, David, I'm coming to um, um, to, to Deuteronomy chapter chapter seven. Now, this is one of the passages that is certainly uh, thrown uh, at many young people when they come to a into a university environment. I'm reading from uh, Deuteronomy chapter seven, uh, and uh, what is what are we here? Verse uh, um, verse one down to two and down to three, I think it is. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, uh, seven nations, he names those nations, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, uh, you shall uh, conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, uh, nor shall you show mercy to them. You shall not make uh, marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor shall you take their daughter for your son. So we're living in an age, aren't we, where equality and where, um, you know, lifting people up, minorities that are pushed down. You read this, Gary, and utterly destroy them and not have mercy. Isn't God a God of mercy? I mean, and that is exactly the question that is thrown at so many people, um, and uh, particularly uh, young people at university uh, stage uh, of their life. And if they don't have an adequate response to this, uh, they can, you know, this can really blow them out of the uh, out of the water. Now, uh, you know, uh, sometimes though, uh, I, I'm really conscious, David, that there's a series of books that every, I've actually got a couple of them at home. I really enjoy having. A look at them every now and then. They're called the Horrible Histories a series. Now, are you aware of the Horrible Histories? Yeah, look, uh, with my son, uh, he's seen some of them on YouTube, and I've sat and watched them. They're very interesting, short, but yeah, you can you can watch them, but you can also buy the books. Now, of course, they delve into history. You talk about the horrible Romans, the horrible Brits, the hor- and you got. I, I don't know if they're politically correct today, but boy, they're good. Um, but the thing that really jumps out at me is that they really present history on a very surface level. They tell you some of the essential facts are certainly there. Things that did take place are certainly in there. But, you know, no serious historian would ever uh, go and, uh, and consult the horrible histories books if they were going to study history. As a reference point. You simply wouldn't do that. That's not what you, what you do. But, you know, there are so many who are prepared to do exactly the same thing with the God of the Old Testament. And you listen to a professor like Richard Dawkins and you hear what he says and instantly you've got a good reference and you can write this off. But that's not the case, Gary. So where are you taking us to next? Okay, look, what I'd like to do is uh, that particular passage that we just read in, in Deuteronomy, I'd just like to take us to another passage of Scripture because I think this is really, really important. I come to Genesis chapter uh, chapter 15. Now, uh, Genesis chapter... 
chapter 15. And this particular occasion, we've got uh, God. He's uh, he's actually speaking to uh, uh, to to Abraham. And uh, this is this is what he says. Genesis chapter chapter 15, and uh, it's verse uh, verse 13 and uh, and onwards. And uh, and this is what he says to Abraham. Then he said to Abram, No, certainly that your descendants will be strangers uh, in a land that is not theirs, that turned out to be Egypt. And they will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. He's speaking to Abraham. But in the fourth generation, they, that's your people, shall return here, that's to the land of Canaan. And then he says something very significant. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You know, to me, this is a powerful statement, you know. What's it saying to you? It's really saying to me, Gary, that God has put these people on notice. Uh, he's giving them every opportunity to take a different course of action. There has been warnings, there's been opportunities, they've been neglected, but God is not ready yet to, to bring judgment on these people. Exactly, exactly. In, in other words, uh, you know, God cares for the Israelites, but he also cares for these people who are currently in Canaan. He's saying, I'm going to give this land to you, to the Israelites, but I'm not going to do it yet. I'm going to let you go into slavery in Egypt because that's better than destroying these people who are in Canaan. Because God was wanting those people to become part of his people. Because God is wanting those people to... I believe God is actually working for those individuals in the same way that he was actually working for Israel. You know, as we're going to come to later, we're going to find that the God of the Old Testament was one who certainly loved Israel and certainly worked powerfully for Israel, but he also worked for other nations. And, you know, to me, I, I mean, we have no, no record of how he actually worked for this particular nation. But, you know, here God is exercising his mercy. He's saying... I'm I'm not going to destroy them yet because their iniquity is not yet full. So this is a God of mercy. And Gary, really briefly, in in, uh, Genesis 18 and 19, we see the picture of the destruction of Sodom. God just doesn't come in with fire and brimstone. He comes to Abram and he says, look, if there are 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. That's exactly right. And Abraham bargains down to what if there's only 10? And God still says, if there is 10, I won't destroy this horrible, wicked city. And of course, in the New Testament, it's expressed by Peter in another way. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. What a beautiful passage that actually is. And to me, what we're actually seeing here is in the Old Testament, exactly the same thing is occurring. But it leaves a question unanswered. Why was it that he, why was it that he ultimately came to destroy these people? Do you know, David, I believe this is actually so important that we answer this question. Why did he come to the point of saying, okay, I'm giving these people 400 years probation, if you like, but then he decides to destroy them? Why so? Was God petty? 
Well, and that's let, what Richard Dawkins would uh, suggest. Let, let's come to to Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter nine, and uh, again, uh, this is something that this is God uh, again again speaking, and this is uh, Deuteronomy chapter chapter nine. And uh, sorry, my Bible doesn't want to uh, doesn't want to open uh, for me right now. Deuteronomy chapter nine, uh, and it's verse uh, verse four and uh, uh, and five, and um, uh, and this is what. He, he says, uh, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out. And this is now Moses speaking to the Israelites as they're about to inherit the land. Um, after the Lord God has cast them out before you, saying, because my, by my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It's not because of your righteousness, speaking to the Israelites, or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, that he may fulfill the word that the Lord your God swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and we've already seen what he said to Abraham. Uh, God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness for you are a stiff-necked people. What a a thing to actually say to Israel. So God's people are stiff-necked and God is going to have these uh, Canaanites driven out of the land and destroyed and it says because of their wickedness. What was their wickedness? And, And this is the thing where it's so important that we understand what's actually going on here. You see, David, one of the things which uh, these people had... No, let me start another way. You know, uh, some some years back we uh, we had the issue of ISIS and uh, ISIS was doing some terrible things. And people, uh, certainly within most Western nations, said we have to get in there and we have to really do something about this because of the horrendous things that these people are doing. And, you know, I think we understand why um, the Western nations had to respond the way they did. What if, however, a nation had started to um, murder children? What if they had started to sacrifice their own children, their own children at just 12 months of age, into the arms of an idol that had had a fire stoked up inside it so that it glowed red. Burning hot. Burning hot. And then they put their children into the outstretched arms of this metal idol. David, how does that affect you? It turns my stomach. You, you couldn't sit there and not want to act. And I remember some of the, the beheadings of the journalists that were captured by ISIS and that had them there on screen and they were threatening. And you just sort of, how can this happen? How can, how can uh, other countries not step in and do something? Exactly. In other words, there was an expectation that there would actually be a response. And, and they were adults. Now, this is talking about children. This is children. This is what these nations were actually up to. They had got, in other words, if you like, they had fulfilled. They had filled the cup of what God would say was their iniquity. In other words, the wickedness was now full. Why was it full? It was full because they were now into infant sacrifice, but not infant sacrifice just of uh, their uh, their enemies, but of their own children. Now, that's about as low as you can get in humanity, is it? (gasps) You know, how much lower can you get? David, do you think that at that sort of time that God should act against that sort of criminality 
Of course he should, because we would want earthly governments to, and God is meant to be a just God. So if God didn't act, what would happen? But when he does act, Richard Dawkins says God is a bully. Richard Dawkins doesn't know his history. Horrible history. Horrible history. This is what we're doing. This is a surface playing of history. This is not the the deep study of of scripture that is actually so important. You know, it's so important, David. I'm I'm just if I can just say one thing here. You know, it's so easy uh, to say that God is a bully when he acts against this sort uh, of activity, but if he doesn't act, then people say, why didn't he act? If he doesn't act, why doesn't he act? If he does act, he's a bully. So to the militant atheist, Richard Dawson, who's turned atheism into a religion, uh, he's painted God into a corner where God cannot win. So God cannot win either way. And, you know, this is just so important, David. I think that we understand what is actually going on here and why this this issue is uh, needs to be responded to because this is saying something about the character of the Most High God. This is saying something about the God of heaven, you know, the God that, uh, that we worship. The God that we worship is no bully, but our God is a God who will act uh, even after... He's allowed years of mercy. 400 odd years, as you said. 400 years, but ultimately these people came to the point where he said, I'm not going to allow this to occur any longer. Just like we read in 2 Peter 3 9, that, that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but it goes on, doesn't it, and say, but, but, but the time will come where he will act. Exactly. And, and this, the God of the Old Testament is also the God of the New Testament. The, the two are exactly the same. Um, I, I believe we've got a very beautiful picture, and we're going to come uh, back. I think you're wanting a... Let, let's run to uh, some music. Jaden Lavick, Wondrous Love. Thank you, Gary.
that I'm free, I'll sing one. And when from death I'm free, I'll sing in joyful beat. And through eternity, I'll sing one. And through eternity, I'll sing. What a wondrous love. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Big Q&A with Pastor David. Today our co-host is Pastor Gary. Gary is the coordinator of the Big Q&A Drive Time program. Normally he's sitting here driving the operation, but today he is behind the mic giving us a really important study. Uh, It's the study on was the God of the Old Testament a violent monster? But before we get there, our free giveaway today is the book Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. It's the official authorised story of Desmond Doss. It's an abridged version. Plus, there is a postscript at the back by Pastor Doug Batchelor, uh, an incredibly well-known pastor that talks about the principles in Desmond's life. Uh, he fought in World War II. He uh, was a conscientious objector, and he was the first conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor for the United States. A movie has been put out about it, so I'd really encourage you to text us in on 488 Double eight zero eight double one. That's zero four double eight double eight zero eight double one. And text us for the free giveaway. Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. Gary was the god of the Old Testament, a violent monster. What have you just shared with us? Because it was really key what you shared with us just before about God. Yeah, 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 David. Look, I, I think there is um, when we understand the history, the real history of what is actually going on in so much of the Old Testament. The thing that I'm so conscious of is a totally different picture starts to form. You know, it's it's very easy to simply say, "Hey, you know, uh, God is a bully." when he's acting uh, on people who are doing horrendous things. But when you understand the horrendous things which they are actually doing, you turn around and say, why should the God of heaven not act? And if he didn't act, uh, I'd be questioning uh, the God of heaven. This is horrendous uh, stuff that uh, uh, that these people are actually involved in. Um, you know, And then uh, to actually call him a bully for acting, and then if he doesn't act uh, to say that, uh, uh, well, well, actually, you know, why doesn't God act? Uh, to me, you know, God can't win either way. Pushed him into a corner. And what I really value with what you've shared, Gary, is that we would expect, if this happened in our day and age, we would expect that our civilised governments would step in and act, that they'd immediately go in and do something. And we're, we're horrified if and when they don't. And, well, this is exactly what happened with, you know, with the whole ISIS thing, you know, Governments came together and said, look, you know, we have to act because we can't have these beheadings. We can't have, you know, all that's actually...
actually occurring over there. Uh, but uh, these were well, what we forget is that these were nations who are who are actually technically at war. Uh, the uh, the crimes and they were crimes were occurring to to adult uh, often militants. Yes. Um, uh, but here in the Old Testament, what we've got is uh, nations are sacrificing their own children uh, to uh, the god Baal and Moloch. And you think this is this is horrendous. How much lower can you get when a nation is not at war and they're sacrificing their own children? So to me, Gary, we would want, we would demand our government step in and act. How much more a heavenly government, the government of God, who is meant to be loving and compassionate, what would we, we would expect even more from him? I think this is being more than reasonable, frankly. You know, I mean, what, what this is saying to me, David, is that at some point, evil gets to such a level that God just simply says it's enough. And you know, as I read my scriptures, even in the New Testament, ultimately we have a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have the world being destroyed and then remade. Uh, you know, what you've got is the God of the Old Testament is also the God of the New Testament. There is no difference. And this is wonderful. The scripture says that I change not. I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. So the God of the Old is the God of the New. Yeah. But the thing that I really love, David, and, and this is where I, I do want to come to come to finish is that I love in the Old Testament what the way that God was continually working for the salvation uh, of not just the Israelites but for other nations as well you know I, I just think of you know the book of Jonah you know sometimes Jonah's known because he's he's the man who took a ride in a big fish or or in the whale but you know that's not the main point of the book uh, the book actually starts uh, in verse 1 now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying arise and go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is, of course, the capital of Assyria. These guys are into some fairly horrendous stuff himself, but nobody had gone to preach to them. Nobody had gone to sort them out. And so God sends his prophet to the Assyrians. He was concerned about the Assyrians. I think Jonah, and tongue-in-cheek, gets a bit of a hard deal from God. I mean, God sends him there to say, I'm going to destroy it. And and it's interesting, the reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he knew the nasty things which they tended to do to people who came and preached against them. And afterwards he's sorry that he went because he knew God was a compassionate God. Amazing a picture there. But, you know, what we've got here is a picture of a God who is working for the salvation for those people who are over there in Assyria. Now, if you go to, uh, to Jeremiah, I, I love the book of Jeremiah because Jeremiah is known as the prophet to what? The nations. The prophet to the nations. Why is that? Well, that's because he actually gives prophecies not just uh, to Israel. He does that. But he also has prophecies that he, and, and, and he preaches to the nations. You see, God is care, cares about Israel, but he also cares for the nations of the earth. And he not willing that any, any should, should perish, perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's a beautiful picture. You know, I think of, you know, the prophet, uh, Daniel, uh, when he's actually in, um, uh, in Babylon. Babylon yeah. uh, you know, we've got the picture of, uh, God's in a heathen nation. And you know, I, I love, in fact, I, I've preached a number of times on the, on the conversion of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story because what we find as a result of, uh, of Daniel, uh, what we find is that King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar himself, I believe, was actually converted. I believe there's enough evidence 
evidence within the scriptures to say that Nebuchadnezzar actually came through to conversion, to accepting the God of heaven. Now, this is a beautiful picture because what it means is that God sends a prophet to the Assyrian power, who was a major power uh, in, in the ancient world. He also sent uh, Daniel, who preaches to the uh, to the Babylonians, who at that time was the uh, was the nation uh, in the, the world in, power and the world power. And the, as a result, the president, the real, the, the top figure, he's the one who uh, uh, who really uh, responds and. It was converted. This would be like saying Saddam Hussein or someone like that, this great, in fact, this incredible dictator, Nebuchadnezzar, ends up giving his heart back to God. So God, as you've said, doesn't want anyone to perish, does he? Doesn't want any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. He, it, What he seems to be doing is working for people to find a better way. But if they continually push him away, if they continually say, no, 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 I don't want you, and the level of evil which they become involved in just continues to mount up, he continually reject, you know, they reject his Holy Spirit, they don't want to be changed, they don't want their mind to be transformed, you know, they don't want these things to happen to them. Ultimately, uh, God says, look, the fact that you are burning your children in the fires of Moloch um, and playing bands super loud uh, so that uh, you can't hear the screams of those children wow. and doing these things. The fact that you're doing this stuff just simply says, I have to act. So justice ultimately demands that God has to act. He has to act. After a long period of probation, after giving so much time and opportunity, but ultimately, justice also requires mercy. God has to step in for his people and for those that are, are being um, hurt and ravaged and destroyed. Yeah, that's exactly the picture. That's exactly the picture that we've got, you know. And to me, is this the picture of a reasonable God. I look at this and I say, hey, this to me is entirely reasonable. You know, the only way you can come to another conclusion is if you pull out the horrible histories books and you say, okay, you know, here are the things which happened and uh, are there horrible things which are listed there? Yes, there are. But you know, it's when you understand the word of God uh, that you suddenly start to understand that, hey, there's something more going on in this particular uh, story than what we, we do actually realize on a surface reading. So don't get caught up by the letters in, in a professor's name and, and the God delusion all these sorts of things but stick true to the word of God. Gary we need to wind up but you want to take us to I think one yeah, final yeah, passage. Yeah yeah look just, just one final passage if I, can, I possibly can you know I, I love Ezekiel uh, 33 uh, and it's actually verse uh, verse 11 uh, I, I love this passage because here God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel and uh, and this is what he says, say to them as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? You know, Israel started to become involved in some of the same things that the other nations were involved in. And when that occurred, God sent them prophets to seek their reform, but ultimately when they refused... Judgment came on them also. 
And this verse that you've just read, God is just pleading for his people. I've got no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That goes completely against many Christians' view of hell, an ever-burning hell where God is gaining pleasure from watching people be tortured forever and ever. Indeed, that's exactly what it's doing. So this is a picture of love. I've got no pleasure in the death of the wicked. To me, this is saying the same thing in the Old Testament as what Peter says in the New Testament, you know, that I, I, that I want, you know, calling people back to, to, uh, um, to, to repentance. Uh, that's the same thing here. You know, the Old Testament and the New Testament preach exactly the same gospel. Thank you, Gary. That's really powerful. I'm wondering uh, whether let's let's pray and ask God to open our minds to his word. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you that the God of the New Testament is also the God of the Old Testament. We thank you, Lord, that uh, he wants no one to perish. He's a God of patience. He's a God that is long-suffering, but he's wanting change, and he even sends his Holy Spirit to, to prompt us. We thank you that he doesn't just stand by and have all this uh, gruesome violence and wickedness take place, but he steps in, and he is stepping in again because he's coming again. Lord, we thank you for your love, your compassion, and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Look, it looks like our time today is up. Thanks for joining Pastor David and Pastor Gary on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Fabiano and Helen spend the entire time discussing an incredibly important topic, How do I deal with domestic violence? There is one lady a week that dies in Australia on average from domestic violence. So an incredibly important topic. That's tomorrow. We really look forward to you joining us then. But until then, please remember, Christ said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't the peace the world gives, so don't be troubled or afraid. May God richly bless you.